0: Finally, if you would like to support the work and ministry of Rehope financially, you can do so online at rehope.co.uk slash giving. We pray you find this message encouraging, enlightening, and helpful. Enjoy. My dudes, uh, welcome in. Um, Today we are going to be finishing up our deep dive that we've been doing the last few weeks where we've been thinking about the dimensions of grace and our aim for this little mini-series Um, has been to expand our view of grace so that we can walk in its fullness so that we don't miss out on any of the good things that God has for us. So here's a little reminder of what we've talked about so far. There are three dimensions of grace, three things that are like separate from each other but like really interconnected um, and they work together to build up like the whole big picture of grace, and there are things, like three things that we kinda need to hold in balance in our hearts, because if we have an imbalance, maybe towards one thing, or maybe like towards two things, that's gonna look um, unideal for us, and sometimes um, it can be Not so hot for us. Sometimes it can be like pretty straight up destructive, and which we're going to see today. So we do want to hold those things in balance in our hearts and in our actions so that we're walking in the fullness of God's grace and we're showing it to the people around us. Those three dimensions are um, receiving unconditional acceptance from God, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and then being cleansed from sin, which we talked about last week. And the last one is receiving empowerment. Um, to live a godly life. That's what we're gonna be talking about today. So the unconditional acceptance dimension of grace is expressed in God's adoption of us into his family. That happens the moment that we give our lives to Jesus. But this type of grace is also expressed continually. Um, if this dimension of grace isn't really so present in our lives, um, oh sorry, my bad. If this dimension of grace is the only one that's really like prevalent in our lives that looks like entitlement, so you're gonna want the perks of being in God God's family without any of the responsibility. But if it's the one that's like not so evident in your life, then that's gonna end up looking like legalism where you apply conditions on your own conditions on top of God's unconditional acceptance. And usually you apply those to yourself and to other people. And if that is um, an area that you struggle in, as I do, um, we need to be continually receiving this type of grace from God and reminders of our our acceptance and status as children of God and then making every effort to live in that grace and not drifting off towards um, our own conditions again. The Clenchum from sin dimension, or like our justification, comes when we give our lives to Jesus. Um, and too much of an emphasis on this dimension um, will result in holy isolation, where you shut yourself off from anything that might be a little sinny um, in case it gets on you. Um, And if this dimension isn't really present in your life so much, that looks like license, where we feel like we're free to do whatever we wanna do, even if it's something that we think is like a sin, whatever, it doesn't matter, because we're saved by grace, so who cares what I do? God cares what you do, and you should care what you do too. And we talked about how, like, even though, like, yes, we have received Jesus' righteousness, but we also have, like, an ongoing battle with sin in our lives. We want to be receiving this type of grace, like, constantly as we come back to God and repent and choose. Personal practical holiness, like we need to keep receiving this again and again. And this week, we're going to be thinking about how grace means that we are empowered to live godly lives. And we're going to do a little compare and contrast of Samson's empowerment and David's empowerment. And we're going to do, uh, we're going to throw some fun things in there as well. Fun things like This. Here is a picture of Charles Wesley. If you're knowing Charles Wesley, that's good. He was like a big time theologian dude in the Church of England back in the 1700s, a prolific hymn writer. And he had a different take. On being cleansed from sin, and how that interacts with um, empowerment, and he was convinced that the moment you give your life to Jesus that sin 's grip on you is broken, and sin will not affect you at all for the entirety of the rest of your life that 's how he was convinced, and he 's smarter than me, so i 'm not going to Um, I'm I'm, I'm not gonna argue with him too much. He has been reading stuff like Romans 6, uh, which we talked about last week, and he's thinking, if you're dead to sin, then it won't affect you anymore. Like, that's what the Bible says. That's the conclusion that he came to. Now, I gotta tell you that that is not my experience, but that was his deal, and you can see it in the lyrics of some of his songs, which we still sing these days because he's still bop, like, 300 years later. And here is a lyric from his classic, And Can It Be?, and he says, My chains fell off, my heart was free, I rose, went forth, and followed thee, and I thought about making us sing it in the backwards and forwards thing, but I am nice to you, and uh, you can thank me for that later. <laughs> yeah, I mean, some of his hymns are great, and, and in these looks you can see the clear link between being cleansed from sin and then being empowered, like his chains fell off, his heart was free, so he rose, what he went for, forth, and he followed God, and that makes sense, like, do you know, you can, see, you can see his argument there, you know, can't you? You can see the link there, and today we're gonna to see though that there's, there's more to empowerment grace than that because like, we are pretty, pretty familiar with the whole like unconditional bit of grace and the whole like forgiveness bit of grace. But the empowerment part might be something that we might not necessarily think of as grace because we tend to have our understanding all wrapped up in salvation and forgiveness. And empowerment is about doing stuff. And since doing stuff, and grace are so separated in our minds, then the empowerment bit kind of tends to get pushed out and forgotten about a little bit. But, grace is grace. Here's what First Peter says about it. It says, just as each one of you has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. So here we see spiritual gifts and the importance of using them to serve others, like, directly linked to grace. And we receive empowerment grace as a gift. Makes sense. The the language tie and the concept tie between grace and gifts are, like, so super, so super close. And we want to steward that grace well by using our gifts, and a few weeks ago we were talking about how our goal is to be more like Jesus, and I gave you this sub-goal, to use your gifts, but maybe uh, today I would prefer to word it like this instead, that instead of using your gifts, I'm talking about using your graces, like use the gifts that God has given you, use the graces that God has given you for other people, for the benefit of God's kingdom, and it helps you grow more like Jesus, and everybody wins, everybody wins, Grace is a gift, all types of grace is our gift is fun. So gifts can come in all, all kind of forms. Um, spiritual gifts can be natural gifts, like the first time we see spiritual gifts explicitly mentioned in the Bible is in Exodus 31, and my dude Bezalel, um, his gifting is, um, he's gifted to be an artisan, like that's his job, and he's gifted in that way. Um, They can also be supernatural gifts, like probably all the things that we think of as like classic spiritual gifts, you know, and the prophecy and the speaking tongues and the healings and all those sorts of fun things, et cetera, et cetera. Spiritual gifts can be natural, or they can be supernatural. They're all grace and it's all good. So whether you're especially gifted as a joiner or as a nurse or as a prophet or as a speaking in tongueser, you have received empowerment grace which you can use for the benefit of other people and the advancement of God's kingdom and it helps you to be more like Jesus and everybody wins. That's really, really, really exciting. Look, I know I had to reframe some of my thinking to see how empowerment could fit with grace. Empowerment is about doing stuff, and doing stuff seems to go against what we normally consider to be grace. But spiritual gifts are grace, and grace more generally is a gift. The link in there is so, so strong. And as a gift, we're thinking, that's a thing that we don't earn. There's another thing about grace that we think. We don't earn God's grace. Of course we don't. Right? Right. Right? Hmm. Let's pause for a minute and think about gifts and how they work. So do you give a gift to just anyone? Or do you probably give them to people that you care about? Do I give gifts to people who are jerks to me? I tend not to. Does God give gifts to people who are jerks to him? He tends to. (laughs) Yes, he does. Do I give gifts to people who are nice to me? Well, yeah, yeah, I do. I tend to give more gifts to people who are nice to me. Does God give more gifts to people who are nice to him? You look uncomfortable. I think he does. I think God gives more grace to people who do God things. And that, I'm not saying you can earn saving grace, hear me clearly. You definitely, 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 definitely cannot do anything to earn saving grace. But when we think about that aspect of grace where we're constantly receiving from God, are there things that we can do to make sure that we stay in his good graces? Or let's put it in terms of this. What about Abraham, right? I'm thinking about Abraham, and I'm thinking about how Abraham was willing to do the unthinkable thing in sacrificing Isaac, and then God credited that to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham was acting, and his actions showed his faith, and then God saw the faith and he credited to him as righteousness. I think it is my personal opinion of reading that book that God saw that Abraham loved him and was committed and loyal to the end and therefore he blessed him and showed him extra grace. I'm thinking about Noah, the only righteous dude on the whole face of the planet and God said build a boat and he did and God saved him. It would be pretty hard to say to Abraham, you didn't deserve that righteousness whenever he was willing to do the unthinkable thing. It'd be pretty hard to say to Noah, you didn't deserve to be be saved when he was the only righteous person on the face of the planet. I think you can earn God's grace. Think about it as his favor. We're maybe more comfortable with that concept. We can earn God's favor. I think that God blesses people who are loyal to him, and you can see that all the way through the Bible. Sometimes we're not ready to differentiate between saving grace, which we can't earn, and then other ways that God shows us grace, which can be directly tied to what we do. I think what we do here on this earth matters, a lot, and the consequences of how our lives are going to go is affected a lot by how we act and what we do. I think God definitely, I think biblical evidence definitely shows more grace to people who are loyal to him. Which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It kind of makes sense. If you, what about this though? If you give someone a gift, do you expect them to give you one in return? And if you answered no, you're either much kinder than me or not being very honest with yourself. (laughs) Usually when we give someone a gift, there's like a reciprocation, right? And is that an obligation to reciprocate that gift? Maybe sometimes. Does you giving them a gift provoke a desire in them to reciprocate? Maybe sometimes. Um, Are either of those things a bad thing? I don't particularly think so. See, sometimes we think of grace as being undeserved where I think like mostly it's undeserved, but sometimes it is. And we think that it's given freely and we don't have to give anything back in return. But that's kind of a funny, funny concept, isn't it? Um, I, I got my head tangled up in a knot on this this week and I read a bunch of really long, jargony academic papers about grace, so you don't have to. <laughs> And here's the kicker that I got to at the end of it. It's a quote from this dude, Scott McKnight, and I don't know who he is, but he said something that I think was really helpful. He says, Paul's theology of grace is not non-circular. That is, the apostle expects those who have experienced God's grace to respond in love and grace. In other words, when God gives us a gift, we give something back. And I feel like that makes sense. If someone is a good dude to you, you'd be a good dude back. If God is a good God to you, you'd be good back. Because a gift says a lot about the giver, but sometimes how we receive something can say a lot about the recipient. Do you know? When I give a gift to Jamie, there are some rules that I have to operate under for how she received gifts. So when I give her a gift, it has to be useful. If I just buy her something cute to set around the house, she doesn't want that. She's a very practically minded person. I need to buy her something useful. And preferably it needs to be a bargain. I at least have to have researched that extensively. And I usually need to provide evidence that I have got it at the best price. Then she will receive the gift well. I used to buy Jamie stuff that I hoped she would like. And that didn't work out so well. Because when I gave those gifts, I was kind of saying, I like this and I think it's cool. You probably don't, but I want to change you to like the things that I like. Surprise, surprise, you didn't receive that so well. But when I think, okay, I'm going to give her a gift that says something and it's going to say, I know you and I know what you like and I care about the things even though I don't I don't actually really care about these things, but I care about these things because you care about these things and it's your birthday, so I'm going to play by your rules and not my rules. Here's something I got you. It's a steam mop. One time, when I was a teacher, one time I bought Jamie a steam mop for Christmas and the lassies in the staff room at the school I was teaching in crucified me. And then I took it back and I got her something else dumb and she was like, where's my steam mop? And she bought one in the January sales. So anyway... (laughs) Way rather have a steam up. Yo, I need to play by her rules because that says something about the giver. Do you know that I, I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna know you, I'm gonna see you, and I'm gonna do the thing that you want, or especially for Jamie, it's the thing that you need that's gonna be useful for you. That's what it says about me. And what does it say about her? I mean, well, for those things, it, it shows that she cares about um, being financially sensible. And it shows that she's practical and it shows that I know those things. And when she receives it, it shows that she is thankful. So gifts say something about givers and, and receiving says something about recipients. But what about does what God, what is God uh, uh, so many Gs in a row. What does God's gift of grace <laughs> say about the giver? It says, I see you and I know you and I love you and I know what you need. Here it is, receive it. And if the recipient says, yeah, cool, thanks and everything, but this is gonna make no difference to my life, what kind of a recipient is that? We wanna give something back. We really wanna give something back. I mean, God's gift of grace is so lavish that it changes our lives, in this life and the next, for good. We should respond by doing Romans 12 things and saying, you have changed my life for the better forever and the eternity my life is yours. And that's how you receive grace. My life is yours. <sighs> Unfortunately, that's not always what happens. Segway, let's read about Samson real quick. Um, you can find Samson's story in Judges um, chapters 13 through 16. We're going to focus in on a bit on chapter 15 today. If you've got a Bible with you, now's a really good time to look that up. But if not, um, don't worry, the words are going to be up on the screen as I read, um, we're gonna start reading in verse 12, just so you know, but here's some context, Um, just as a reminder of the whole Samson deal. So at the time when Samson was born, Um, The Israelites had been handed over by God to the Philistines because of their disobedience and that oppression lasted for 40 years. And God meets Samson's mom and dad and gives them a bunch of instructions for what they're to do and how Samson is supposed to live his life. He's going to be a Nazarite from birth and he is going to save God's people from the Philistines. And God's spirit moves and empowers him to do that. But if we jump forward in the story, instead of liberating the people from the Philistines, um, you know his job Um, Samson wants to marry one of them and on the way to marry her he eats some honey out of a lion carcass and that seems quite inconsequential but weird but sure he did it Um, but anyway a bunch of stuff goes down at the wedding and he doesn't end up marrying her and it is a whole thing But just kidding, now he does want to marry her again, but problem, she's married someone else. So Samson torches the Philistines' crops and their grains, their olives, their vineyards, all of it. And the Philistines, now they're not so happy about that, so they execute that lassie and and her dad. And then they come for Samson. And the Israelites are just like, yo, this dude is a liability. So they tie him up and they're ready to hand Samson over to the Philistines. So let's pick up in verse 12 and see what goes down. It says, the Israelites said to Samson, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Then Samson told them, swear to me that you yourselves won't kill me. No, they said, we won't kill you but we will tie you up securely and hand you over to them. So they tied him with two new ropes and led him away from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came out to meet him shouting. And the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully on him. And the ropes that were on his arms and wrists became burnt, flax, and fell off. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand, took it, and killed a thousand men with it. Then Samson said, with a jawbone of a donkey, I have piled them in heaps. With a jawbone of a donkey, I killed a thousand men. Man, and this story is kind of nuts, and we tell it to children <laughs> anyway. This should have been Samson's deal, right? Get this, this should have been Samson's deal. He is from the tribe of Dan, he is a member of God's people, he is a Nazarite from birth, he is 100% counted among the people of God. So, unconditional acceptance, yes, yes, it is. He, he, is, he is in God's people. He's also a Nazarite from birth. A Nazarite what? Okay, well, we find out about a Nazarite vow in Numbers chapter six, and it's a special consecration that you can do um, until a certain condition is met. And there's a bunch of, uh, there's a bunch of conditions for what you do and that that you can read up there. The outward sign of a Nazarite vow is that you don't cut your hair. But really, it's about keeping yourself like pure and clean according to the law of Moses because you have got like a special focus in that time. Do you know, I know dudes who, like, um, who are part of this church who have done Nazarite vows until like a certain prayer is answered. Samson is on a Nazarite vow from birth. It's gonna be for his whole life. In other words, he is gonna be a Nazarite until he completes his job to start to free the people from the Philistines. Now you can read down that and you can see things that Samson does. Like they're, like not allowed to touch grapes, but he goes into their vineyards to torch them. Like not allowed to get a haircut. Well, he didn't do that until the very end. No going near dead bodies. How about reaching out and taking a fresh jawbone of a donkey and killing a thousand people with it? What about eating honey out of a lion carcass? Like Samson is not very good at this stuff, but He's got a Nazarite vow going on, so cleansed from sin, he should be. Boom, cleansed from sin. The, the the plan here is that he should be cleansed from sin. So he's got the unconditional acceptance. He should have that going on. He should have the cleanse from sin thing going on, And he has been given a job to do, hasn't he? And the Spirit of God has empowered him to do that so he should have the empowerment thing going on too. Samson should be walking in the fullness of God's grace. And if you know that story, or even from what we've just explored this morning, you will know that that is simply not the case. Samson is not even close to walking in the fullness of God's grace. He is a liability, he is out of control, and the crazy bit, is that from reading that text, the spirit of Yahweh comes upon him and he kills a thousand people with the, of a, with the jawbone of a donkey and you're just like, is God's spirit the one who empowered him to do all that crazy? Okay, so what, what's going on here? And what I think is going on here is um, that grace can be abused, it can be abused and it can be misused, and it can be taken advantage for. And it feels especially destructive when the empowerment dimension of grace is used badly. It can look like forcefulness. We definitely see that in Samson. And all all aspects of grace can be abused, but this one looks like forcefulness. It's got all of the like, I can do whatever I want piece from the license thing, but this time, You're not acting like you're part of the family. You're a lone wolf. You've no accountability. You're gonna do whatever you want and you're not gonna listen to anybody who tells you otherwise. This is a problem. I probably don't need to tell you that that is a problem. But I'm not here to tell you that Samson fighting against the Philistines is an abuse of God's grace. That was his job. Like That was like the very reason why um, God empowered him was to fight the Philistines. Now this is nasty, so what's going on? What I'm seeing in Samson is that he is running around with his personal vendettas on revenge missions, killing a bunch of dudes all the time because they solved his riddle or because they married his girl or because whatever. Like he is thinking about himself and when he gets called out because he doesn't like being accountable or because whatever, he go, like he goes crazy, and he takes the empowerment of the Spirit of God, and he uses it to do things that further his own deal. Using God's grace solely to further your own like personal little agendas—that's nasty, and that's not what we want. Samson shows us what it is like when we have the empowered dimension of grace present in our lives without bringing the other two things into balance. We don't want that. Let's compare ourselves to young David when he goes up against Goliath. Really similar context. God has chosen a young man to fight against Philistines in a battle and start to free the people from the Philistine oppression. Really, really, really similar context. But so different in every other way. Let's go reading from 1 Samuel 17. We're going to start in verse 43. It'll be up there. Um, Goliath said to David, Am I a dog that you come against me with sticks? Then he cursed David by his gods. Come here, the Philistine called to David, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword, spear, and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the ranks of Israel. You have defied him. And today the Lord will hand you over to me. Today I strike you down, remove your head, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the wild creatures of the earth. And then all the world will know that Israel has a God and all his whole assembly will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord says for the battle is the Lord and he will hand you over to us. See how David is motivated by passion for God's honor. God is being defied. David is not having that. And David is motivated so God's going to do what he does through him so that the Philistines and all of Israel and all the world will know God's strength. David is thinking about God primarily, but also all the rest of the nation of Israel. And he wants God's strength to be displayed. He's thinking about other people. Key difference between Samson and David is that Samson is out for himself and David is out for everybody else willing to put himself in grave danger. Instead of having the super strength, he's going against the super strength, ready to put himself in grave danger for everyone else. Just a completely different dude. So different from Samson's revenge quests. Doing empowerment grace for the benefit of other people, that's what we're after. That's what it looks like if you just have empowerment grace. But what if you have the two other things, but you're weaker in the area of empowerment? Well, that can look like laziness. Disclaimer, it can look like laziness. I'm not, if you resonate with this later, I'm not calling you lazy. It can look like laziness. Sometimes it looks like some other stuff. And if, as you're, you're listening on, and you find that you do resonate with that, well, it's good to have um, the self-awareness and be paying attention to the movement of God's spirit so you know what you're gonna be able to do to combat those things. It's a good thing to figure this stuff out, Um, maybe laziness is a bit of a clunky word though, I just wanted all the words to begin with L, because alliteration and preaching, you know what it's like, but hey, you get it, it's fine, Um, Jamie told me, feedback from Jamie, Jamie told me that my sermons have been a little bit serious over the last few weeks, so just to bring some balance to the force, I'm going to do a silly voice for you. I hope you're ready. So, um, when it comes to like lazy grace in church, it can look something like this. (laughs) Bing bong! Ladies and gentlemen, this is your pastor speaking. We've now reached our cruising altitude of 30,000 feet and the fastened seatbelt signs have been switched off. Our cabin crew will soon be passing through the church with our in-flight service. During this time, enjoy some cute pop rock songs about God and take advantage of our offer to pray for you. We'll be uh, arriving at the end of the service in about 70 minutes. So on behalf of God, I thank you for choosing to worship with us today. Just sit back, relax, and enjoy your church. I was gonna do, do you know Robin Williams, Genie from Aladdin, who does the like ladies and gentlemen voice, but I couldn't, I couldn't, yeah. Okay, anyway, we'll move on. Obviously, that's a total caricature, and obviously, I don't think that worshiping the Lord Most High is cute pop rock songs. I'm just being silly, but I mean, there's so, like in every dumb joke, there's a little bit of truth, right? And I think that we're fortunate enough to not live in a country with a dominant consumer Christian culture around these parts we've got to fight for our right to party these days and I think there's a lot of good that that comes from that. Um, This might look a little bit different than like classic like I'm going to sit at church and I don't want to do anything stuff. I think sometimes the laziness can come in the form of us wanting to protect ourselves from like stuff that might weird us out like wanting us to stay within our comfort zones. So people who struggle in this area, like could well be happy for church to serve them, but they don't really want to do anything to contribute to the community. It's not like they're running around doing bad stuff all the time, but when God asks them to stretch themselves and step out of their comfort zone, they're probably more likely to preserve the status quo. And just so you know that I'm not willing to call you lazy without calling myself lazy first, for me that looks like whenever people say things like, we can be on mission all the time, you know, like with our neighbors when we're at home, we can, t- you know, we can be on mission there. And whenever I hear that, like a lot of the time I think, ugh, oh, I just want, I I quite enjoy a little bit of anonymity at home. Like, I just want to be able to switch off at home. I don't particularly really want to do that, and I don't really want to talk to my neighbors. And um, I'm just not going to do that if that's okay, and whether it's okay or not. Like, that's how, like, that's one example of how, like, this laziness um, can look in people's lives. Um, But there's a a bunch of ways that that can happen. But what about a church that is kind of living in lazy grace? A church that is living in Lazy Grace would probably look like a church that has lost its mission. Do you know, a church that would be happier to do stuff for the pre-existing community rather than doing something for people who um, are outside of the community right now but we wanna bring them in. Do you know, worship nights for us, like that's, that's great, that sounds good, I'll come to that. But like reaching people outside of the, this church community and bringing them in no, no thank you, that, that, that sounds like it's not for me, actually. Um, and this is something that I think we want to watch out for at Rehope Southside. Like so many churches, including this location of this church, during lockdown went into survival mode, do you know? And like that's completely understandable. And over the last little season, we have been doing what we can to help us to get out of survival mode. But I think after like a long season of difficulty, the temptation is always there to just stay where you're comfortable, what you've got used to, even if it's not ideal, and stay in survival mode. And we, we don't want to do that. We want to remember our mission. We want to keep going and keep doing the things that we have been doing. And then when the time is right, then take the next step. I have been really encouraged um, over the last little while at the progress that we have been making in this area, and um, she's not here today, so I don't mind talking about her. And um, Claire Harrison, for example, is um, she she runs uh, she helps organise replay like the the like little kids play group, and she has got every mum's number. Like building a community around the parents, like they're meeting up in the park. Like she is just so good at making sure that people know that they are unconditionally accepted when they come into this church, whether for a playgroup or for a main gathering, whatever that is. Like she communicates the grace of Jesus to those parents every time she sees them. So good. I'm seeing dudes like Fiona Kings even talking about it today. Like she's just so willing to say the name Jesus out loud. And like pleasantly surprises herself and other people with the things that Jesus does for her, so casually talking about Jesus. She'll invite her uh, her, her uh, colleagues to stuff like We Love Trading, just talks about Bible read-through all the time, talks about the send all the time, talks about Jesus all the time. Like she she lets people know that there is hope for them and she, they can see like peace in her. She talked about it today, um, so good. I'm seeing dudes, um, who are first-time guests here who think they're going to escape to the back door before we catch up with them to talk to them <laughs> i'm seeing dudes run interference at the back door because we we want to meet you and we want you to be seen and welcome and know that i know that you're welcome here and uh we want you to know that we're glad that um you, we are glad that you you came to worship jesus with us today and um that's fun i've even seen duncan rosewood chase somebody down the street to make sure that he got that conversation. I think when we got back, we were a little church like coming out of this difficult moment, like maybe um, just like a little bit insular at times. And now the evidence is there that we are moving far and away of that. And I'm really sorry that I didn't get to call each of you out in turn. But the progress that we have been making over the last little while is encouraging me so, so much. At various points over the last little while, I've thought, uh-oh. For example, it was a bummer when we didn't get uh, our Alpha course that we were organizing off the ground. And when Jamie and I were reflecting on that, um, we realized that, um, well, when we planned that Alpha course, we'd only been back in Scotland for three weeks. And we just misjudged, like, where this church is at. So we made an error of leadership judgment, and then you end up being disappointed that the Alpha Course didn't get off the ground, but it's not like, it's, it's not our fault. It's our fault, because we just made an error of judgment. Now I do wanna get back to Alpha Courses, and I do wanna get there soon. I'm not world renowned for my patience all the time. I do wanna get fully back to our mission. But what I have been learning over this last season is that the right thing at the right time is really effective. And what I am seeing from you guys is like helping me to learn that because there's get in progress, get in progress, get in progress, and it's driving forward. So I want you to hear this, and I want you to hear it well. Nice one. Good job. Like really, we really, really appreciate you. Like we appreciate you seeing somebody sitting on their own and asking them to sit with you. We appreciate you asking somebody if they would like a coffee. We appreciate you saying, "Oh, you've got a little one with you today." Like, do you know that we've got kids ministry at the back? Like, can I show you where that is? We appreciate you, and this is like turning into like a pretty exciting season. I mean, look at you all today. There's a bunch of you. This is exciting. Nice one. Keep going. We are making really good progress in this empowerment thing keep going because we're not there yet we're not there yet but we will get there and we'll get there by keeping on doing what we're doing and making the right steps at the right time because we can overcome laziness we are overcoming laziness and we overcome laziness with action we do the right action at the right time because action is what we need to grow in this area of grace so perhaps the problem isn't actually laziness do you know the problem isn't laziness Laziness is just an expression of the problem. The problem is inaction, but as you know, inaction doesn't begin with an L, unless you say it in French. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Magnifique, I've fixed it. (laughs) It's not always laziness that leads to inaction. It is sometimes laziness that leads to inaction, but it's not always laziness that leads to inaction. Sometimes things work out like there's a thing coming up at church and you think, do you know what, I'd really like to do that and I think that I'd be pretty good at that. And But, oh, or maybe I've got this idea for a thing that we could do. Oh, but I don't want to overstep my mark. So I'll wait for them to ask me. Cool, that's what I'll do. But then on the other side, we're like, oh, I we're going to do this thing at church and I think that they would be really good for this. I really hope they ask us about it oh, they haven't asked us about it, right? They must not want to do it. Or maybe they just like people work and people are busy and I get it, I get it, I get it. I'll not burden them with that. So you're over here waiting to be asked and I'm thinking that you're over here not wanting to be asked and then everybody just kind of ends up disappointed because we've expected each other to read minds and it turns out (laughs) none of us can do that. And we kind of end up a little bit disappointed. So like inaction kind of wins in that one but we can overcome inaction and we can overcome inaction with invitation. And that's alliteration and rhyme in one go so I get extra bonus points for that one. Really excited for that. Invite people in. You can invite people in. Don't wait to be asked. You can invite yourself in. Like, do it. So suppose you're on the kids team and there's this dude that's just joined your Bible read-through group and they've talked about how like they've done kids stuff before. Invite them in. Invite them to join. So you're talking to this girl and like she's pretty new here but you find out that she's a drummer and you're like, yo, we're always looking for people for the worship team invite them in like even if you're not in the worship team like get them in touch with Jordan I'm sure he would love it so you've got this friend who like seems like almost oddly receptive to talking about jesus and it kind of took you by surprise at the start but now like they just really want to talk about it and ask you a bunch of questions and you're thinking like bible read through would be a really good place for them to gather all the data about jesus that they need to like figure this whole jesus thing out for themselves in a place where people can support them invite them in you know so you talk to this girl this week and um she wants to go deeper with with jesus and she wants to do that in a community of people who are in her zone wanting to go deeper preferably her own age and you're like oh i invite her to like think about the remain internship like there's lots of stuff that we can be inviting people into because sometimes dudes just are waiting to be asked we are like even i am like a secretly a polite person and we do like to wait to be asked but we could be like a little bit more bold you might just end up being the answer to somebody's prayers um, Invite yourself in, invite other people in. And if you invite someone in and they say no, they weren't doing that thing anyway, what have you lost out on? Like nothing, you have nothing to lose from inviting people in. And if they say yes, then everybody gets more grace and everybody wins. Like stepping forward in empowerment through action is how we can grow in this area. And we are growing in this area. And it's very exciting, very, very exciting. So, there it is, my dudes, the three dimensions of grace. There is unconditional acceptance, being cleansed from sin, and being empowered to do good works. Grace really is amazing, but this Venn diagram has ended up getting a bit negative over the course of the last three weeks. So I think we should repopulate it a little bit with some other grace stuff. Let's go for that. Bingo, look at that. So much good stuff that comes when when we've given our life to Jesus and we re, we've received his grace and we keep receiving his grace on a continual basis so we can walk in its fullness. And I ran out of space for putting like, good stuff that God does for us on a screen. There's only so, much, there's only so many pixels. Do you know, there's only so many pixels, but grace really is amazing. It's even more amazing than we think it is sometimes, and just when we think we've got a handle on it, I bet it's even more amazing than that too. Nice one. He's really good to us. I've got a couple of challenges for us this week. Um, number one is reflect on the skills and abilities, like reflect on the graces that God has given you that you could use for his kingdom, and identify your top three ways that the Holy Spirit has empowered you to do God's work. Now, your top three ways, like the implication of that is that I'm expecting you to be able to think of more than three things. Um, I bet you you've more than three things um, that you can do to advance God's kingdom and things that you're good at. And number two, if you're currently not making use of the spirit empowerment grace to enliven your church community, then like consider serving. Like if you call Rehope your church we would love to help you find a serving team here that will fulfill you use your gifts you're going to be filled up as you pour out it's going to be good you're going to love it something that fits your gifts and your graces if you're a guest with us today and um, we would love you to make sure that you're using like this grace in the church that you call your home make sure you do that and number three keep your eyes peeled for opportunities to invite other people into walking into empowerment, grace, or like opportunities to invite yourself in. And um, when you see your chances to invite people in, invite people in. Take your chances and keep your eyes open so you can see uh, people the way God sees them and take your chances. Um, Friends, I'd love to pray for you and then uh, Cam is gonna come up and tell us about how we can respond in this next little moment of our service. Let's pray, God we bless you and we love you, and we say we thank you. The gifts that you give us are outrageous, outrageously good, so lavish, never runs out. And what does it say about you as a giver? That you are the most loving person, like thing, spiritual being, whatever. You're the most loving anything that there's ever been, anytime, anywhere. There's nobody like you. Nobody even comes close, and you're wise, and you know what we need, and you give it. You see things in us that we don't see in ourselves yet, and you give them in advance for to do the things that you have planned for us in advance. And God, we say we receive your empowerment of your spirit to do what is right. I pray that you would impress upon our hearts the duty and the responsibilities that we have as your people to spread your kingdom and your name and your glory and your honor around Shawlands, Um, around Glasgow and then into the ends of the earth. God, we bless you. We bless your work. We love you so much. You're so good to us all day, every day. And we just love you for it. Amen.